Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Mentioned uh, today, I think it is, that we're actually in the book of Ephesians, if you're following along in your readings. And uh, it's a brilliant book. It's, a, it's an absolutely amazing book. And uh, typically, it is the way Paul writes all of his other books, the way Pastor Carl broke it down a couple weeks ago, if you were here. Uh, he starts by describing a lot of the amazing, brilliant things that, that Jesus has done for us who Jesus has become to us, who we've become to God and who we always were in his heart and his mind. And then it moves on and it starts talking about things like relationships and, and how to live and, and the kind of things that we heard Judy talk about. So it's, it's a brilliant book. It's got a whole bunch to say. I could never really do it justice in one morning, but I'm going to try. But I'm going to tackle the book from the perspective of purpose, from the perspective of, of what, what am I here for? Who am I? What's God's calling on my life? What is God really doing? Like, what's the point to all of it? The big question, why? So to, to understand where we're coming from, we first got to just do a quick recap of all the things that we've heard about so far from Paul. So Pastor Carl talked about Paul's system of truth. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, he said, he said to the Romans, you guys, you believed from the heart that form of doctrine, that system of teaching that I gave you. And the result of it was that you became free. So Paul had a very uh, articulate way of explaining what Jesus did and how it affects us, who we are and now how we live. And I find that this revelation that Paul had, both the, the content of it, the message of it, and also the application of it, these two components, the indicative and the imperative, the theology, the ethics, the you are this, now do this, those two divisions, they weave brilliantly together how our broken identities our fallen living, how that's healed, how our hearts are mended, our relationships are restored, how fractured, broken living is displaced by new life in Christ. See, Paul's going to go on to say in Ephesians that uh, Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. See, the idea of faith isn't just that it's, we have ideas to hold to and fight with other people about, but faith actually brings Christ into your heart. It brings into manifestation the power of God in your life because it's actually, this whole thing's about life. The Christianity is the life of Christ in you. The secret kept hidden from ages past isn't a good doctrine about Christ. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the goal of our faith is actually something much more than just having right faith. It's more than just having right doctrine. It's right faith and right doctrine manifesting itself. As Paul said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So it's all about life. It's about the life of Christ coming in you and filling you and flooding you. And all this comes, it's all in this one big package. It comes through the preaching of Christ and him crucified. In a word, grace. See, grace is much more than just God feels good things about you. That's part of it. It totally is. God feels great things about you. He thinks great things about you. And because of that, he gives himself to you. And so not only do you have the love of God, you can receive it, but you can live it. You can feel it, and you can manifest it. 
So it's all about grace. It really is. That's what Paul was all about, grace. And Paul understood his life mission to be testifying to the gospel of grace. He says, Acts 20, 24, the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus is to testify to this gospel of grace. And the thing about Paul, not only did he have a good message about Jesus, not only did he say, hey, this gospel that I preached, that Jesus Christ became a man, God himself became a human being, walked along the earth, absorbed into his own life, into his own body, into his own experience on the cross, all of your sins and brokenness, all of your sickness, curse and disease. He died, three days later was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father, is now Lord and King over all. You believe that, you're saved. You believe that your relationship with God is completely restored. But he said one of the benefits of that is that also restores you to a life and a life of purpose. And purpose and meaning are actually really, really important. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's really important. See, God from the beginning had a plan. He had a purpose. He had something that he was looking to do. See, we, we aren't just the, the random products of some process that has no real end other than to outcompete another organism. We actually have real purpose, real meaning to our lives. God had a plan. So the book of Ephesians, it takes us before Genesis. Genesis, right, in the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. Well, Ephesians takes you back to before God created, and it takes you into the conversation God had within himself when he decided to create. It takes you into the mind and the heart and the purpose and the intent of God when he started to do what he did. So I think the book of Ephesians, it's actually the book of God's beginnings. You can see behind the scenes. You can see what he was thinking and what he wanted when he started to create things. And you know what? You can find yourself in there, too. You can find yourself in the book of Ephesians. You can find yourself in the heart and in the mind and the forethought of God from before the world even was. God knew you. He knew all about you. He had a plan for your life. He had a purpose for you. And he thought about it beforehand. And not only did he think about it, but Jesus Christ himself volunteered and said, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to give myself to make sure that I bring them into it. So not only were you thought of, but you were provided for, for by the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which is really good news. So the Apostle Paul, he had an amazing grasp of this purpose. He understood it really, really well. He said, God gave me this gospel. I didn't get it from any human being. I didn't go to school and learn it. I didn't get it from Peter or James. I got it directly from Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, not only that, but this revelation of the heart and the mind and the purpose and the intention of God, God also gave me that too. This has been a secret. This has been something that's been hidden. He says in Ephesians 3, 4, 4 to 6, he says, as you read what I've written, and we've read it today. We're going to talk about it today. He says, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by his spirit, he has revealed it to holy apostles and prophets. Paul had a unique revelation of what he referred to as God's eternal plan, God's eternal purpose. See, everything that's going on in the world today, everything going on in, in our lives, a lot of it is the fruit of our decision-making. But you got to know, somehow, our mighty God is able to work all things together according to the counsel of his will, which is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. And somehow, all the decisions that we make, all the randomness, all the bad stuff that you see in the world, God didn't do that. But somehow, in his power and in his grace, he's able to make sure that the purpose and the plans that he had at the very beginning are still going to come to pass. Nothing is going to thwart it in between. Now, don't make the mistake of looking out at the world and saying, oh, well, it must be God's will because it's happening. No, lots of things happen that God doesn't want to happen. 
He doesn't will that anybody should perish, for example. But some people successfully reject the good news. Right? God doesn't want anybody to be sick. So he's empowered the church and said, you, go pray. So there are certain things that are, that are in the world that aren't right, but you've got to know that somehow and in some way, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, what he intended at the very beginning, he's going to bring it about. He's going to see his will done. His purpose will be accomplished, and it will be realized. So the book of Ephesians, it, it talks about this purpose. And, and Paul said, you know, the, the, the apostles and the prophets, they were given specific revelation of this purpose because, precisely because this is what God's doing. You know, we want to know the heart, the mind, the thoughts of God. God, what are you doing here? What are you doing there? He has a very definitive plan. There's something very certain that he wants to see worked out in the earth. Sometimes it, it gets down into the details of should I eat shreddies or Cheerios? But for the most part, the will of God for our lives is actually a lot bigger than that. It's a lot, it's a lot grander, and we're going to try and unpack that a little bit. So what I want to do is look at the book of Ephesians from the perspective of purpose, and what I'm going to do is going to give you five observations that I see about purpose, about calling, about meaning for our lives, things that I see in here that I've learned from God when I watch him and how he unfolds his purpose. See, I don't want to say, here's the six things you can do so that you can figure out your life purpose. Those books are a dime a dozen. And uh, I don't know if you've ever wrestled with it. I don't know if you've even asked and thought, you know, God, what am I here for? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? Well, you know what? Sometimes those answers don't come super quick. And they don't come quickly on purpose. Sometimes there's a process involved. Sometimes there's, I, I hate that. I hate the word process. I hate the word journey. I hate that stuff. I just hate delay and, and working through things. But it, it's there. It is. I, I don't like it, but it's there. And sometimes it's there on purpose. See, God could drop a, a scroll from heaven and say, here you go. In, in 152 days from now, this is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to talk to. This is your purpose. But you know what? Your purpose and your calling what you're on this earth to do, it's actually a lot more valuable than God just to randomly just throw it out at you. It actually, it takes some, some exploring, some discovering, some walking with God, some walking with other people in order to unpack it. So Solomon, he knew this. He said in Proverbs 25 too, he said, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. There's something of the kingship, the royalty, the nobility of Jesus inside of you that gets brought out of you when you embrace the very noble calling of unpacking your purpose. See, the Apostle Paul, he was called by God. He got knocked off his high horse. God lifted him up, saved him, healed him, told him that he was a chosen and appointed vessel to take his name to the Gentiles, gave him very, you know what, Paul, this is what I'm going to do with you. But then by Paul's own admission, and you can read this in Galatians 2, he went and spent 14 years in the wilderness, Damascus, Arabia. He went and he spent time trying to figure it out, trying to define it, trying to work, work it out, work it through. What does this mean for me? See, Jesus didn't just say, hey, Paul, I want you to go here and I want you to go there. He spent time working it out. So he says, I think it's in Galatians where he says, when it pleased the Father to reveal his Son in me, not just to me, but in me. He got sent on the way. So there's a, there's, there's a working it out. Kings search for purpose. And purpose is valuable. It's a treasure. And something's a treasure because it's rare or it's hard to find. But when you're connected with God and Jesus, I'm telling you, when you're, when you're right with God, when, you're, when your life has been declared righteous, you're free to pursue your purpose. 
Your sins are forgiven. You're cleansed. You're washed. You're okay. You don't have to worry about those type of things. You can actually say, God, here I am. See, he purified us for himself, a people zealous for good works, Titus 2. There were works that were prepared before you were even created for you to walk in, and we'll talk about that too. But so, what's this thing called purpose? This is, uh, this is from the John Templeton Foundation. So some smart people got together, and they decided that purpose is a stable and generalized intention to accomplish something that is at once personally meaningful and at the same time leads to productive engagement with some aspect of the world beyond yourself. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful. My breakdown is purpose is clear. It's defined. It's a goal that you set that's connected to who you are. It's something that you want. It's something that you desire. It's, it, it's, it's something that comes out of you. And it's something that engages the world around you, the people around you. Purpose is, is, is part of who you are, and it's knit into the very person that God made you to be. So God has a purpose. Like I said, the Apostle Paul, he, he, uh, he, he expounds upon it for us. Galatians 3, verse 10 to 11, it says, God's purpose, this is it, ready? God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amazing, eh? God's purpose was to manifest himself, to reveal his wisdom and his glory throughout the whole of his creation, in heaven and earth, everything that's known and everything that's yet to be known by us, and he wanted to do this through the church, through us. In other words, this God who is so unknowable, unapproachable, undiscoverable, who's impossible to grasp, too large to understand, too big to get. He's so completely different from us. He's so other than us. He's so immensely big. He's radiant. He can't be approached by finite beings like ourselves. He can't be grasped. We can't get him unless he condescends and lowers himself and becomes knowable and becomes known. The Apostle Paul put it this way, 1 Timothy 6.16, he said, it is he alone. God alone has immortality. God is the only eternal person. God alone has existed forever. Everything and anything else, even heaven, even the throne that he sits on was created. Even heaven was created. Everything except for God. There was a time when there was just God. Nothing else, just God. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. That's the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He's describing something mysterious about God. He's saying that this God, this immensely relational God who wants to be known, He's so big, he's so holy, he's so full of life and light that unless you're of equal substance to him, you can't even get close to him. It's like the sun. You can't get close to the sun, right? You can't, you can't do that. It's too big, too altogether different. So God condescends. He comes down and he makes himself known. He makes himself knowable. And Paul grasped this in a way that, that no one else had. And he understood that God had chosen the church to be the vehicle through which this unknown and unknowable God would become known and knowable. And he says that he was going to do this according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Accomplished past tense. 
the eternal purpose of God, for the unknown God to become known, the unknowable to be made known, has been accomplished and, and achieved in the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the unknowable God became known. In him, the fullness of the Godhead came to dwell bodily. Now we can touch him. Now we can see him. Now we can feel him. Now we can rub up against him and you can know him. This great, big, mighty God. How great is our God, yet he is, he's, he's come down to our level to be with us, to be seen, touched, and felt by us. It's just amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And now it's through the church. Paul said that the church is this, this organism. In Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, the church is that vehicle through which the fullness of God dwells, and he's going to fill everything. He's going to fill the whole world with the knowledge of who he is through us. I hope you can see that. I hope you can feel that. I hope you can feel the, the dignity that you have, the amazing uh, calling that you have as a human being to be a, a container, a vessel, a revealer of who God is to the world and forever. It's absolutely amazing. See, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things together in Christ things in heaven and things on earth. And as the church, that group of people through whom he fills all in all, I hope you can see that you too have eternal purpose. See, it's through us that everything will come to know God. Jesus is the eternal gospel. He's the eternal message, the eternal gospel, the word, the communication of God to his creation that we will forever be preaching, proclaiming, living, manifesting, and revealing. Paul had, Paul had some insight into this. He said, you know what? One day you guys are going to judge angels. Do you know why? Angels long to look into the things that we know. They want to see. They want to figure it out. Because you know what? You have a relationship with God that they don't have. You're a child. You've got the, the DNA of Almighty God inside of you. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, they see him externally, but he lives inside of you. You know something about God that no one else does. You can reveal him in a way that no other creature can. I'm telling you right now, no other creature here or in heaven, sorry if that's a little bit weird, as, as the body of Christ on this plane, on that one, in this age, in the ages to come, will forever be revealing the person of Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. That is what we've been called to. It's amazing. And if you grasp this, if you get this, if you let this get down into the very core of who you are, and you let this purpose start to permeate everything you do, you're never going to live another dull, boring, insignificant day in your life. Every day is full of purpose because you are uniquely designed to reveal something of God that no one else can. You are uniquely created and designed to reveal Jesus Christ in a way that only can happen through you. Christ shining through you shines through you in a way that he can't through anybody else. You were made that way. You connect with this purpose. And this is what the apostles and the prophets of old, this is what they did. They took lives of ordinary people and they connected them to the great big thought of God from before he created anything. He connected their lives to infinite purpose and meaning by saying, this is the eternal thought, the eternal purpose of God. See, there's lots of things, lots of causes that we can give ourselves to. There's lots of things that we can get involved with. But you know what? The apostolic and the prophetic ministry, they, they connect you to this purpose. They don't let you settle for something less. 
They don't let you settle for seeing that you're anything less than purposely, intentionally designed to reveal and carry the very glory of God himself. Now, when you connect with this purpose, Paul said in Colossians 1, this is one thing he prayed for the Colossians. He said, I pray that you're going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Connect to purpose, connect to eternal purpose, and you will bear fruit in every good work. And you will grow in the knowledge of God. And when I say grow in the knowledge of God, I think he's thinking about, like, take your kid to work day. <laughs> you know? Where you're, you bring your kid to work. I've never done it, but, you know, I've seen parents do it, and, and kids come away with a whole new appreciation of who mom and dad is. Are. Whatever. <laughs> Jesus wants me to learn grammar. Now, this thing, purpose, it's not only good spiritually, but from a secular perspective, people who don't even know Jesus, they've come to understand that, that the need for purpose is one of the defining characteristics of a human being. Humans crave purpose. We can suffer serious psychological conditions, difficulties, when we don't have it. You were made to live on purpose. Just look in the Garden of Eden. He made them, and then he said, now go do this. God has a plan. God has a purpose. To be created in his image is to live on purpose. To be recreated in his likeness and image in Christ Jesus is to again embrace a life of purpose and meaning. It's a fundamental component of a fulfilling life and is a vital component of manifesting the life and purpose of Jesus. I've heard it said one time that if you plan anything, it's not the Holy Spirit. We're called to be Christ-like. God had a plan from the very beginning, and he makes all things work together according to the counsel of his will. So here's the thing. Here's five observations about purpose. Like I said, I don't want to tell you what it is. I, mean, I think I can tell you what God's purpose is, but I don't want to tell you exactly how that fits for you, but just think about these things. Just meditate on these things. Let, let them shape and inform your thinking about your own purpose, and I pray that the Spirit of God will guide you into all purpose. He'll guide you into all truth, and he'll guide you into the reality of why you're actually here. Because those books where you, 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 know, you can do the six steps to find out what you're here for, those are a dime a dozen, really. What we need is Holy Spirit unpacking us to us. So number one, there's five observations about purpose. We're going to look at how it starts with being. It's in love. It's relational. It's multifaceted. It's demonstrative, and it's visible. So number one, it starts with being. Now what I mean by that is this. Remember how I said that purpose, for it to be purpose and not just random activity, it has to flow out of who you are. You have to be personally connected to what you're doing. Otherwise, you're not really engaging in purpose. You know, there's an author, her name's totally escaping me right now, but she wrote a book called The Path, and she said, you know what, everybody's living purpose. You're either living somebody else's or you're living yours. Pretty interesting. But anyways, starts with being. Comes out of who you are. Ephesians 1 verse 3. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts off this book about purpose, and he says, Father. He identifies God as Father, just like Jesus did. He came and he showed up, and he said, hey, this uh, Elohim, Yahweh, let's call him Father now. He's our Father. So God, out of his Father's heart, he wanted a family. So it goes on to tell us in Ephesians 1 that he predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ to himself. So our doing comes out of our being. It says, before the world even began, God decided in love to predestine you to adoption as his children. Ephesians verse 1, chapter 1, verse 4. It was out of his father's heart that he decided to do something. 
And the same, <clears throat> excuse me, is true of us. And you can, uh, you can look elsewhere. I mean, you can go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand for us to walk in. The good works that you were made to do, the good thing that your life was supposed to be manif- supposed to manifest, your purpose is it's like hardwired into who you are. So the way that gets really practical is, uh, what do you like to do? Are you an artistic person? Chances are there's something in your life of purpose that's connected to art. Maybe you're musical. I am not. I'm not a good grammaritician either. Um, it's going to come out of who you are. It's really important. Now, the other the thing is, is um, you know, you can, you can kind of knock those uh, self-discovery people, but sometimes self-discovery is actually a very holy pursuit. It's a very holy pursuit of purpose because you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. The new creation that you are has embedded into it the, the desires, the dreams, the goals, the passions, the skills, the DNA that God has purposely injected into you. So one of the ways you start to walk purpose is you start to become comfortable with who you are. You start to become accepting of who you are. You get rid of the lies and all the crazy ideas that says my life needs to look like so-and-so's. Or for me to be a successful human being, I need to follow the same path that somebody else did. No, you're unique. Totally one of a kind. Be you, and you're going to unpack God's purpose. Who you're created to do flows out, or what you're created to do flows out of who he created you to be. Really, really important. If you try to be what you're not, you're ripping the world off. So true. Number two, it's in love. Here's an observation for you. Ephesians 1, verse 4. It says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ according to his pleasure and his will. Now, it's really important you get this. God is not purpose-driven. He's not driven by purpose. As much as purpose is important, he's love-motivated. God is not purpose-driven. He's love-motivated. He predestined us in love, not out of a driven desire to achieve or to make people who would just be robots who would worship him. But out of love, he made us to know him. It was love that motivated him to make us the primary vehicle through which he would accomplish his purpose. So important is love that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, I pray that you being rooted and established, grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that, so that, in order that, you will be filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians chapter 3, it's in the Bible. You want to be filled with God. You want to be filled with the fullness of God. You want to know how the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all, you want to know how we're going to be filled with the fullness of God and share him with the world? We're going to know his love. That word gnosis, it means, it's not just a I know it, it's a I've experienced it and I know it. It's an experiential knowing. See, it's not enough to say Jesus loves me. You got to know, like you got to feel it. You got to know it because you've experienced it. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. That's not just that I can tell you Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, because he has told me so. 
He has made me to feel it. He has made me to know it. That's how we're going to get filled with the fullness of God. I mean, there's all these programs and weird stuff out there you can try and do, or you can just let God love you. That's biblical. That's why I think Paul says, hey, guys, guess what? We're going to do some spiritual gifts. Let's do the stuff. Let's let it all be done decently. Let's let it be done in order. Let's prophesy. Let's heal the sick. Let's do all the stuff. But you know what? I'm going to show you a more excellent way. I'm going to show you a way that's going to propel you into a life of eternal purpose long, get this, long after prophecy is done. Long after there's a need to be healed. Long after you need to discern between spirits. Paul says, I've got an eternal way for you. I've got a way for you. If you embrace this, this is going to make you effective forever. See, what we're, I hope you know what we're doing right now is only just the beginning. We have an eternal calling. It's an eternal purpose. Millions of years from now, we are going to be explaining, demonstrating, revealing the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that mind-boggling? We are going to be just as engaged then as we are now in making Christ known. So you might as well engage it now. You might as well get involved in the program today. Because you are going to be doing this later. Good practice, Bertie says. So he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. I'm going to show you how to live a life of eternal significance and meaning. And it's love. So we love each other. We speak the truth in love to one another. Everything we do, it's in love. Because you know, like, even if you do right things, even if you say right things, but it's not in love, sometimes it's still not good, even though it's right. Sometimes you just agitate already triggered people by saying true things if it's not couched in the love of God. So it's speaking the truth in love. Everything we do, it's all in love. It really, really is. And the gifts are meant to function and flow in love, not disconnected from love. That's why he sandwiches spiritual gifts, love, spiritual gifts. Let me show you a more excellent way. It's good stuff. It's really, really good. All right, number three, it's relational. Purpose is relational. God is a relational person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What are we saying about that? Three in one. It's just a constant relationship. There's a Greek word for it called perichoresis. And basically all that means is the church fathers got together, figured out how can we describe the relationship that God has with God? And so they came up with this perichoresis. And it basically means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love each other so much, they're constantly giving and pouring themselves out into one another. They're constantly giving themselves to each other. And, and so God is relational, completely and utterly. Now, there's a Canadian academic. His name is Marshall McLuhan, way back in the 1900s. And he said, the medium is the message. And I thought that was brilliant. I mean, he was talking about TV and different types of, of media. But think, think about this. God's chosen medium, his, his chosen tool, his delivery system, if you will, of his purpose the revealing of who he is. It's a family of children to a father, and it's a bride to a son. God's chosen method of accomplishing his purpose is through intimate relationship with people. It's to have a family, sons and daughters, a bride to the son. It's absolutely mind-boggling. God, who's infinite, could do whatever he wanted, but he chose to do it through relationships. 
through people. It's just so good. And that's why if you, if you actually read through Ephesians, I think the part that we're reading today, uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, you're going to see this book about purpose, this book about eternal purpose, has so much relationship advice in it. There's a, an amazing articulation about what marriage looks like. He actually gets into it and says, this is actually meant to be a prophecy of Christ in the church. Again, our human relationships are revealing something of the heart of God. Brilliant. He talks about the relationships between parents and kids, bosses, employees, employers, like the whole realm, the whole, whole gauntlet of human relationships. He's talking about it in a book of purpose because for a large part, our success in life is going to be determined by the quality of our relationships. Now, if you're an introvert like me, that's hard, right? But it's true. Relationship skills, connecting with other people, the ability to connect is actually like, if you could give yourself to the development of one skill on planet Earth, it would be, I, I would highly recommend learning how to do relationship. I've given myself to this skill. I'm not very good at it, but thankfully I've got eternity to grow. But this one thing is vital. Now, I think because this is a book about relationships and purpose, that's also why Paul started to talk about spiritual warfare, believe it or not. I think it's amazing that he puts the bit in Ephesians about uh, spiritual warfare. Oftentimes we isolate it, but if you read it, it's actually connected to the parts that preceded it, which were all about relationships. So he says in Ephesians 6.12, he says, you got to remember, guys, I added that part, but we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood that is your problem. That means if I'm having a bad day, my wife is not my enemy. It's actually against evil rulers, authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. These are the real enemy. When you walk in true purpose, it clarifies who and what the enemy is. And I'll tell you what, the devil, in all of his schemes, he's not just at, after you to give you a bad day. I mean, if a bad day is going to make you like pack it in and leave, then yes, he'll give you a bad day. But do you know what the devil is fighting against? He's fighting against the eternal purpose. He, he, honestly, I don't think he cares. I think I said in the earlier service whether you got a flat tire or not. I mean, you can look for the demon behind the tire if you want. You might find one. I blame him for everything. I actually don't think there's a demon behind every rock. I think there's two. Just saying. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. What he's really trying to do is knock your focus of your relationship with Jesus Christ and the revealing of God through your life. That's what he's after. I mean, don't, don't get brought down into, into a weird life of spiritual warfare where you're basically hitting, hitting the air. You're punching at things that don't matter. You're getting involved with things. David said, you know what, God, I resolved to know, just to not think about those things that are too great for me. I'm not going to try and find the two demons behind every rock, but I do know that there is a devil. He does wander around looking for people to devour, but what he wants to do to me is actually isolate me from my relationship with Jesus. Not that he can take it away, but he can distract me. He wants to distract me from relationships and connections with other people. He wants me to prioritize good things over the people in my world. Those are the kind of things that he does. That's the kind of stuff that he gets involved with. And it's ugly. So flesh and blood is not the enemy. People are not the problem. Even the ones that you might think, man, that person's demonized. It's not. 
I mean, don't, don't let that be the answer to your problems. Don't walk away accusing people of that. But I'm just saying, even, even in like the worst case scenario, it's not the person in your world. It's something else. And if you can keep that perspective, see love where Paul said, love believes all things, believes the best, always believe the best of people. Even the people that you think are trying to wreck your life, believe the best of them. It's going to help you. Now, lastly, when it comes to relational, you got to know when it comes to being equipped, prepared, uh, advanced, readied, uh, trained for your life purpose, here's the thing. This is why relationships are so important, particularly in the church. God could have said, all right, guys, get ready. I'm going to drop a toolbox from heaven, and I want you to take it out, and here's a spiritual hammer. Learn how to use this, and you'll be able to do this. Take another tool, whatever tools are, and do that. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to give you some gifts. These gifts are going to help you. They're going to equip you and empower you to do your life purpose. But look at what the gifts are. Ephesians chapter 4. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. People, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. That's interesting, eh? That kind of pushes the responsibility for the work of God onto all of us. And it causes all of us to realize the priesthood of the believer. But it means we need to have relationships with people in our lives, equipping ministries that can help us. That's why you can't be equipped for effective Christian service or your ministry through a relationship that you have with a Christian minister on TV or on the internet or in books. You can learn, and you certainly should. You, you can learn from people's experience. You can glean from their insight and their wisdom. But there has to be people in your life who embody a gift from Jesus to help you to unpack who you are. You need to have a pastor. I said this earlier. I have a pastor. My pastor has a pastor. Even before, okay, full disclosure, even before I worked here, I wouldn't leave Pastor Carl alone. Because I was like, I have a pastor, and I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I have a pastor. I need somebody in my life who can help me unpack who I am, what I'm here for, and equip me for my life. And, uh, and I benefited from the fruit of that relationship. And everybody should be able to say, I know who my pastor is, and be intentionally involved in relationships with people who help build you up. So Ephesians 4.16 says, Jesus makes the whole body fit perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Then the whole body is healthy and it's growing. We need each other. What, what, what causes us to grow is our help to one another, what God supplies through our connections with each other. So if you're, this is the whole point, if your life purpose, if you're trying to find purpose by isolating from people and saying, you know what, I'm going to back up, I'm going to back off, I'm not going to get involved until I figure this out, that's not going to help. You need people. You need people to bounce things off. You need iron sharpens iron. You need relationships with people. So you can't isolate. And if your vision, if your purpose for your life, if what you see God is calling you to do does not involve anybody else, it's something that you can pull off by yourself, I want to tell you right now, don't sell yourself short because I think you're aiming a little low. Everything worth doing in life is worth doing with somebody else. For real. All the introverts said, I hate you. <laughs> I can say that. I'm 100% introvert. I do all those tests. I'm not kidding. 
I didn't believe it, so I did it again a couple months later, and yep, 100%. All right, number four, it's multifaceted, Ephesians 3.10. So now through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God in all of its countless aspects might be made known. The wisdom of God is multifaceted. There's different dimensions to it. And that's because of this. I'm, I'm going to read for a second because I thought what I wrote was good. But here it is. Life is dynamic. It's full of different relationships and different people and different life opportunities. So don't box yourself in. Don't say this is the one thing God made me to do, the one job I'm meant to have, the one way he wants to use me. His wisdom is multifaceted. And so are you. You're not, I don't know if I can say this, one trick pony. You're designed to live a life of opportunity and wonder, full of anticipation and newness. There's new dimensions, new opportunities, new ways of doing things, new ways of being that are beyond the horizon of what you currently know and see. See, God is not limited to our imaginations. He's not limited to the things that I can dream up in my own head. There's a future waiting for you that is actually beyond your wildest imaginations. And that's not just a crazy idea. We're going to see that's in the Bible. Now, it might take some outside-the-box thinking, letting God show you things and move you in ways that you never thought of, that nobody in your circle could ever have dreamed as a possibility for you, where it's something that's just so unexpected, so out of left field that it leaves you and those who know you thinking, where did that come from? Do you know what? That's normal life with Jesus. That's the multifaceted wisdom of God. That's God doing... Bible, super abundantly more than we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. And you know what? He wants to do it by his power that is at work, not out there. Not, and this is important. Through his power that is at work in you. See, a lot of times when it comes to purpose, you, you can get kind of uh, confused as to where the power for purpose comes from. And you can sit back and think, man, if somebody just comes along and gives me a break, if somebody comes along and discovers me, if somebody comes along and just gives, gives me a chance, opens a door for me, creates a way for me, acts as my sugar daddy or something. I don't know if I can say that either. <laughs> Ashley is shaking her head, no, you can't say that. And it's on TV, Sue, I'm so sorry. Bless me, please, Father. <laughs> the power to accomplish purpose is the power of God within. If you're constantly looking for something else to come in your life and move you, somebody else to come along and take you there, you got, you got to switch up the mind a little bit. You got to see that the power that God wants to propel you into your future is the power that he's put inside of you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Your one spirit with Christ and the spirit that he's given you is not one of fear. Don't shrink back. It's one of might, it's one of power, love, and sound-mindedness, clear, safe thinking. Number five, last one, it's demonstrative and it's visible. See, God said his purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom, to display it. You were made to be displayed. You were made to be shown off to be displayed. Ephesians 2, 6-7, God raised us up together. He made us sit together with Christ in heavenly places. Now, why did he do that? See, we claim those verses. I tell you what, there's a reason why he did that. Here it is, that in the ages to come, see, again, your calling and your purpose is not limited to this life. Start to see yourself as a recipient of eternal life. You're engaged in something of eternal significance and purpose. 
but he raised you up together with him, seated you with him, and gives you this eternal purpose so that in the ages to come, you might show your life might be a demonstration of the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You're raised up and made to sit so that we can be seen as recipients of God's grace. Might be uncomfortable with this, but if your plan and purpose in life is defined as something you can keep to yourself, something that you hide back, you've yet to grasp the full measure of what the grace of God is meant to do in your life because it's meant to put you on display. It's meant to make you visible. It's meant to make you visible. See, God, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, God will lift you up because he wants you to be seen. But the reason why he wants you to be seen is, one, he thinks you're awesome, and two, so that his grace can be seen. So the world can see what the grace of God can do for another human being. Ephesians 5.8 says, You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And Ephesians 4.13 says, Light. What the thing about light is it makes things visible. You're light in the Lord. You're supposed to make him visible. Here's the thing. When you manifest the multifaceted wisdom of God, you're going to light up like a Christmas tree. Daniel said so. Daniel 12, verse 3, he said, those who are wise, those who manifest the wisdom of God, they're going to shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. So don't be afraid of the attention. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Right? Don't, don't listen to that false humility that says, no, 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 get back under your bushel. Sing that Sunday school song, right? I'll spare you. I think, though, this is why Paul warned Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.15, after talking to him about what he was supposed to do, he said, hey, Timothy, be diligent in this. Give yourself wholly to it so that everyone can see your progress. There's something about your progress, something about your, your process, your progress, your development and purpose that is supposed to be seen and visible. It gives encouragement and it gives a testimony to the grace of Jesus to other people. So Jesus said, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, this is from the message. He said, here's another way to put it. You're here to be the light, bringing out God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. He told his disciples, we're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. He said, if I make you light bearers, don't, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? No. A lot of people do, though, and call it humility. He said, no, I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a light stand... Now that I've put you there on the hilltop, shine. I, I, I love this part. This is challenging to me all the time. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. I hate this, but it's so good. By opening up to others, by opening up, letting other people into your life, into who you are, into how you do life, by letting people in, you're going to prompt other people to be open to God. You opening up your life to others is going to prompt them to open their lives up to God. This generous Father in heaven. That's good stuff, eh? So here's the thing. You were made on purpose. You were made for purpose. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the one that Paul preached, the one that we read about in the, in the gospels, and Jesus preached the same message, is declaring call to a redeemed life of purpose through relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke is something that people get when they work. Jesus was actually calling people to work. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you a job to do. 
Doesn't make sense, does it? Not in the natural, but when you understand that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, you're not going to shrink from work. You're not going to shrink from the purpose to which he's called you. You're going to embrace it because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And he's going to help you to be able to stand there, demonstrate the grace of God, but do it with a gentle and a humble heart, just like he did. The man who, who demonstrated ultimate humility was able to say in a room full of people, at a festival, he's able to walk up on the steps and say, hey, come to me. The most humble person that ever lived was able to say, come to me. I got something you need. With no contradiction and no doubt. Crazy, that's for us. So here's the thing, Ephesians 1, I just want to end with this prayer because honestly, I pray this every day for myself. I pray this for my wife, my kids, my family. I pray this for us at Impact Church. Um, I pray this for the church. I pray this for the church in Canada. I pray this for the church in Western culture. This is a, this is a daily thing for me. It's, it, it, it matters. When it comes to purpose, the Apostle Paul, he said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowing of him. God is unknowable except by the spirit so that you can know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart not these eyes. The eyes of your heart would be opened, enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called. May your inner being awaken to the eternal purpose of God, to the dignity and the calling you have to reveal Jesus Christ in every single aspect of your life. May the eyes of your heart be opened that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Again, we could park there forever. Jesus says you're his inheritance. Ask of me. Ask that for the nations. The nations will be your inheritance. The peoples will be your possessions. He doesn't care about the stuff. It's the people. The people are his inheritance. And Paul prayed, you know what, when you're talking about purpose and you're wondering about power, he's not saying, you know what, guys, you need to get hooked up with the power source. He's saying, you need to know the power you've already got. So I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened and you might know his incomparably great power towards us who believe, the working of which he exerted, not randomly when he parted the Red Sea, not randomly when he sent fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice on the altar in the days of Elijah, but that you would know the power of God not through what you saw on TV, some evangelists do in Africa or somewhere else, but that you would know the exceedingly great power of Christ, the working of which he exerted when he raised him from the dead. And he raised us up together too. And we're all meant to be witnesses to that resurrection by living in that power. Amen? <laughs>